more time, can we praise God for everyone who extends God's love? Lord God, as we open up your word this morning, we pray that you would use us to be an extension of your love to one another, that we might receive your love and then go and share it with the world. May we receive what it is that you have to say to us this morning as we open up your word, that it might change us to be more like you when we leave than when we came. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you would, take out your Bible and open it up with me this morning. We're going to do the reading at the beginning. I know we've been kind of following a different rhythm uh, the last several weeks. So open up to Deuteronomy chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. Deuteronomy chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. Um, this is the second iteration of the Ten Commandments. How many of you have seen the Charlton Heston iteration of the Ten Commandments? All right, this is not quite that exciting. Um, but I want you to, to read through it with me. I'm going to read through the whole thing because we don't have time to read each commandment and get into one. Every single one of them um, would be a sermon in and of itself. So we're going to read about it at the beginning. And then we're going to talk about why all of these commandments are important and an extension of God's love for us. Sound good? All right. So open up your Bible, Deuteronomy chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. Moses summoned all Israel and said, Hear, Israel, the decrees and laws I declare to you in your hearing today. Learn them and be sure to follow them. The Lord God made a covenant with us at Horeb. It was not with our ancestors that the Lord made this covenant, but with us and all of us who are alive here today. The Lord spoke to you face to face out of the fire on the mountain. And at that time I stood between the Lord and you to declare to you the word of the Lord because you were afraid of the fire and did not go up the mountain. And he said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth or beneath in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord, am the Lord your God. I'm a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but sharing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments." You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to, you, to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son, or daughter, or male, or female servant, nor your ox, or donkey, or any animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that, the, that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you so that you may live long and that it may be go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. 
You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not set your desire on your neighbor's house or land, his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Ah, I feel like I need to take a breath. How many of you like rules? Show of hands. Some of you do, right? Like, and I, I imagine those putting their hands up have thought through that. You understand the benefit. The rest of us, though, are like, no. And I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about the Ten Commandments, and it got me thinking about other laws and rules, and that led me down this path. I found a fascinating article online that outlined some of the craziest laws and rules, but legal laws, that actually exists in the United States. And so I'll share with you just some of my favorites. In California, you can't eat frogs that died in frog jumping competitions. How many people, we had several at the 8.30 service, how many people here have ever had frog legs? A lot of you, right? So if you're in California, just ask where they came from or you could be an accessory to a crime. You should find out. In Meridian, Connecticut, uh, there is a law that says no person shall sell or offer silly string or like products to a minor that is not accompanied by their parent or legal guardian. I think that should be the law of the land. I don't want my kids coming home with silly string that I don't know about. Um, in, a, in a town in Delaware, our Article 9 of the Offenses Against Public Peace and Safety. This one's long, so buckle up. It's in section 198.23. It says this. No person may disrupt religious worship by noise. You're really quiet. We're not in Delaware. We're, we're in Wisconsin. It's okay. But, but there in, in, in Delaware, you cannot re- uh, interrupt religious worship by noise, talking, or whispering, rude or indecent behavior, or by profane language within their place of worship or within 300 feet of the place of worship. And so I got on Google Maps, I kid you not, because I thought, you know, how many times you pull out of the church parking lot, somebody cuts you off, and you got something profane that you're thinking in your head. If you want to stay true to that law, you better wait to say it until you hit the speedway, okay? <laughs> that, that'll get you 300 feet away from all of the religious services around us. In Georgia, it is against the law for chickens to cross the road. In Illinois, there's a law that says you cannot dye, color, or otherwise treat baby chicks as to impart on them artificial color. And I'm, I'm just wondering, like, did somebody think that's how Easter eggs are made? <laughs> like, if the chicken is pink, that's how the eggs will come out? I don't know. Um, so then in Kentucky, there's this law. Um, and they can be a little crazy in Kentucky, so I was surprised that it is against the law for a person to display, handle, or use any breed of reptile in connection with a religious service. And then that got me thinking about two years ago when the Steffens brought their bearded dragon to church. We would have broken the law if we lived in Kentucky. And then last but not least, in New Mexico, it is illegal to dance while wearing a sombrero. (laughs) 
So be careful the frog legs in, in, in California and don't dance with the sombrero in New Mexico. Crazy laws, right? Like, I mean, crazy laws. Laws that you and I would probably be hard-pressed to figure out what is the explanation for why these things exist. What good are these laws providing, if any, to the society around them? And then I think, you know, truth be told, I'm tired just reading through them all. How many times, functionally, do we feel the same way about the Ten Commandments? I mean, what do these ancient rules have to do with us today? I mean, we even have the Cliff's Notes version, right? Jesus gave it to us in Matthew 22 when he was asked what the greatest command is. And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind. It's the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Say it with me. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he said, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So that's all you need to know, right? Close your Bibles. Let's go have lunch. (laughs) Not so fast, because I don't know about you, but I need more details. I need to know what it looks like to love God and love others. And I do remember Jesus also said this in Matthew chapter 5, that I have not come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And so what does it look like to fulfill these things? Well, practically speaking, it begins with what we call the Ten Commandments. Now, this is the second week in a series that we just started last week. We're calling Through the Waters. We started with Moses, right, through the Red Sea. And we talked about how Moses was talked to by God. A message came from God. His voice spoke through a burning bush. Moses ended up going to the Pharaoh, the Lord over Egypt, and telling him who had enslaved God's people Israel to let God's people go. Go. And we're going through the whole Bible in nine months at St. John's, if you're here for the first time. So we can't do every single page. So we're skipping a whole bunch of really good stuff. Uh, we're skipping the Pharaoh chasing with his army Israel to the Red Sea. We're, we're skipping the part where the Red Sea parts and they cross and then it covers the army and takes them all out at the same time. We're going to skip 40 years of Israel wandering in the wilderness on their way to this place called the promised land and it's a physical location they're coming to that God has set aside for them to live out the freedom he has saved them from slavery to live and we're skipping all of those things and jumping to a sermon one of a series of sermons that Moses gave the people of Israel right before they enter into that land to remind them of God's laws to show them how to structure their entire society around their newfound freedom because what they've already learned and what we learn too is that if you're not careful freedom can lead you right back into slavery have you ever had that experience before your freedom leads you to do something that brings you back into bondage i was thinking about my son jacob 14 years old. Actually, I realized as I was preaching it at the 8.30, I've referenced this a lot. He is our oldest, which means he's going to be the first one to get his driver's license. And so I must be like subconsciously thinking a lot about that. Um, but, but there's going to come a point here in the next year he's going to get his permit, and then he's going to be, have this legal freedom to drive. Now, are we going to throw the keys at him and say, okay, Jacob, you've read the Bible. Love your neighbor as yourself. <laughs> 
Like, would that be good? Like, maybe, but we're also going to make him read the 89-page motorist handbook because that's what it looks like, right? He's going to have to take a test. He's going to have to go to a class because the truth is you have to understand what does it look like to love your neighbor at a stop sign, What does it look like to love your neighbor when an emergency vehicle comes up behind you with its lights blaring? What does it look like to love your neighbor in a constant construction zone? Amen? you got to learn these things. And so I think about the Ten Commandments as maybe more like rules of the road. Rules of the road. See, God isn't finished when he sets us free. Whatever he sets us free from, he wants us to live free. And so he gives these commandments to Israel, and he gives them to us to show us how to live. And while we don't have time to go through every single one of them, what I do want to show you is that every single one of God's commands, these and any others that you come across, are rooted in three things every single time. They're rooted in love, they're rooted in freedom, and they're rooted in promise. And so we're going to start with love and take a look again at verse 6 of Deuteronomy chapter 5. It says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Now, Christian tradition would consider this verse as kind of a prelude before the first commandment. But Jewish tradition considers that the first commandment. And it's a little odd to us as Christians because we look at that and we go, it's not commanding us to do anything. And yet, I think that's actually the point. Because if you remember the history so far, the people listening have a real and recent experience in slavery in Egypt. And we see in Exodus chapter 1 what that looked like. They put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. They worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter. It got so bad, the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, when you are helping Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, see to it that the baby, if the baby is a boy, is killed. Horrible, horrible season. Now, do you know what they called kings and pharaohs and authorities during biblical times? They called them lords. They called them lord, like Pharaoh was the lord over Israel, because they had rules over the people underneath them. This Pharaoh, the lord, had terrible rules over Israel. They were intended to oppress them, to make them bitter, to literally stop the progression of their lives. And the truth is, lords in our life have the same potential to do that to us today. There are lords in our world that want to do all those same things to us. And I think to myself, we immediately go to maybe something political when we think of that. Or maybe you might think of what's going on in Israel right now, right? As we pray, right? And all those things can be true, but you can have a Lord a lot closer to you than that. As a matter of fact, chances are when you walked into church this morning, you were carrying a Lord in your pocket. You know what that Lord looks like? It looks like this. Does anybody else have a Lord in their pocket? Show of hands. How many of you have a Lord? Now you're worshiping it. You're putting your hands up. No, I'm just kidding. That's bad. Now, last week I talked about my smartphone And I talked about how this thing helps me to find my wallet when I lose my wallet. Because, see, it's not in and of itself inherently bad, but even good things that are placed 
in purposes they were never intended to be placed in can turn into something bad. The Pharaoh of Egypt was made in God's likeness and image. He was a man, right? When he was a little baby, I'm sure he cooed and he smiled and he was really cute. But then he was placed in this terrible position over others. And the truth is, anytime we place something or someone in a position it was never intended to, we are going to be the ones who suffer the consequences. No more importantly than what you call Lord. And Lord is anything that ends up directing your life. It's what distracts you. It's, it's what focuses you. It's what you trust in. It's what you prioritize. It's what's demanding of your attention. It could be your money. It could be your career. It could be a golden calf. And what God is establishing here in the Ten Commandments is that nothing should be at that level in your life and in your heart than the Lord your God. And the way that the Lord God establishes that truth is by saying, I am your Lord and you are mine. He establishes the relationship because they were not the Pharaoh's. They were slaves in a foreign country. And that meant that that Lord was not looking out for them. He was looking out for himself. They paid the price. And so God establishes before anything else, you are mine, I am yours, and whose you are matters. Parents, you get this. It's going to be holiday season soon, right? And so you're going to go to all of those adorable Christmas programs where the kids are going to be singing and you're going to go and they're all going to be up on those risers and there's going to be hundreds of kids singing the same song off key. And if you are a parent or a grandparent and you're sitting, I mean, it's true, right? You come because they're cute. And, and so you sit and you're watching this cute thing going on. But who are you watching if you're there and you have a child or a grandchild in that, in that group of kids. Who are you watching? Anybody? You're watching your child, right? And when they come down from the risers at the, at the end, they're so excited, right? They've been working so hard on this for all these weeks and all these things. Do they just run up to some random adult and go, did you see me? Did you see me? No, no, they run up to you. Why do they do that? Because they know that you are theirs and they are yours. See, God establishes the same thing here. Before he gets into any of the rules, he says, you need to remember that you're mine and I am yours. You are not the pharaohs and so I rescued you. I took you back. I broke the bondage and I took you because I love you. I love you. You are mine and I am yours. And every one of the laws I'm going to give you is for you because I love you. That's why the first two commandments are all about that relationship. You should have no other gods Except for me, you should have no other gods, no images, nothing. And then that leads into the second thing we learn about the Ten Commandments, that they are not just about love, but they are also rooted in freedom. They're rooted in freedom. For example, what is the third commandment? Does anybody know what the third commandment is? Keep the Sabbath. Keep the Sabbath holy. You know what that means? It means a lot of things. It means take a day off. It means don't work. It means worship God, and that's it. Now, you know some history, even if you've never read the Bible before, we've already talked about this. After 400 years of never getting to take a day off, how do you think it felt 
to be told by your Lord you need to take a day off, a 24-hour period each and every week, stop working. You know how that felt? That didn't feel oppressive. That felt like freedom. God brought them out of slavery. And I think to myself, how often do we put ourselves back in that position when we choose not to stop? How many of you have gone a seven-day period of time and not taken a day off? Show of hands. Right? It's universal. It might be the most broken commandment in all the commandments. And see, you got to understand it's about so much more than just stopping and getting rest. Rest is a wonderful byproduct of that, but what it's designed to ultimately do is every single week remind you and me that we are not God. And neither is anything or anyone else that we serve. For one day a week, God reminds us that the world does not stop spinning just because we stop spinning. Don't you need to hear that? Isn't that wonderful news? Do you believe it? I mean, does anybody here believe that the world is spinning because of them? No, but if you do believe it's true, take a day off next week. Don't work. And let me be really specific. Don't check your email. Don't rake leaves. Don't do the laundry. But Pastor Tom, that's why I need a day off, right? To get to those things. I get it, okay? I break it just as much as anybody else does. And yet this is what God came to save us from in the first place. Even God takes a day off on the seventh day of creation. And you want to know why? It's not because God needed to rest. It's because even rest creates something. Did you know that? You know what we create on the days that we slow down? We create relationships. We create love between other people. We create create memories. Is there anyone here that could, could use a little more slowing down to create that, right? We all need those things. You create energy for the days to come when you stop. How many days? Do you ever feel depressed and down and hopeless? And then you realize that you can't remember the last time you got more than four hours of sleep at night. I mean, have you ever? I'm looking at some families with young kids, right? Like, this is the season. It's really, really hard. And and I'm not suggesting that just sleep solves all of those problems. But has it not for you, I know it has for me, been the difference between whether or not I have enough strength to meet the days ahead? (laughs) to have a little bit of clarity, to be able to face what's coming. That's why, all of that is why the Sabbath is a command. These are the rules of the road, and they're written by a God who loves you, who wants to set you free, and he wants you to live free. And that freedom isn't just between yourself and God, but that freedom is designed to extend out to the relationships that you have with everybody else. It's why all of the other commandments say things like, you're to honor your father, and mother. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't covet anything or anyone your neighbor has. You want to know why? Because if you do any of those things, it binds us. See, we have the freedom being designed by God to love one another, including our neighbors. Uh, How many of you have a neighbor, somebody who's physically close to you, that you genuinely enjoy having a relationship with? Show of hands. 
I, I'm, I'm glad to see so many people because you have to work at that now, right? Not just pulling into your garage and pretending like everybody doesn't exist. So, so at, the, at the first service, I looked out and my neighbor literally right across the street from me, Dick, was sitting right over here, right by Ed and Christine. And I said, here's the thing. I have the freedom, and so do you, to love my neighbor. If you want to, after church today, you want to go love your neighbor, make them cookies or give them a hug or sit out on the back patio, whatever. You have the freedom to do that. But look at the Ten Commandments. Break one of them with your neighbor and see if you still have the freedom to love them. And so I looked at Dick, and I said, Dick, you know, you're always outside your front, the front of your house with this beautiful Weber grill. I want it. I think I'm just going to steal it. <laughs> Do you think if I go and I steal Dick's Weber grill that I still have the freedom to love him? Is my stealing from him going to have an effect on my relationship with this neighbor that I care about? Absolutely. If I covet something that he has, if I go to the neighbor next door to him and say, did you hear what Dick did? Even if it's not true, right? That's going to affect my ability to love him. You see what God's doing here. These commandments are because God loves us. He sets us free. He wants us to live free. And it's not just for ourselves, but it's in the midst of relationship with others, for our neighbor, with our neighbor. Now, is God going to punish you the way Kentucky will punish you if you bring your bearded dragon to church? No. We actually learned that. Let me skip ahead a little bit. Jesus, right? He was pierced for our iniquities, crushed for our sins. He took upon himself the consequences of every time we ever break any of the commandments. But when you break the commandments, you are still punishing yourself. You're punishing other people. And that brings us to the last thing that we find in every one of the commandments, and that is not just love and not just freedom, but the third thing we find, say it with me, is promise. The Ten Commandments are not just rules. They're a covenant. In other words, a two-way promise between God and a people that he loves. The Jewish tradition, this, I found this really interesting too. I didn't know this before I studied it this week. They actually believe that every Jewish man and woman who's ever lived, their soul was there at Mount Sinai when God gave them the Ten Commandments. Because this isn't just a list of rules. It is a promise. It is a covenant. It is an extension of love that goes out to all people. I would liken these things to be more like wedding vows than legal statutes. Those of you who are married, chances are you had promises that you made to the other person as part of your ceremony, right? And I've, I've officiated more weddings than I can count, and never once have I had a couple stand before God and before the congregation and have one person look at the other person and make their promises and say, I love you, yada, yada, yada. That's, those aren't the vows, right? It's usually a little bit more deep than that. But they say, I forgive you and, and I commit to you and all this stuff. Never before have I ever had one person say that to the other person and then the other person, when they're finished, looks back and says, thanks. That was really nice of you. Uh, I'm so glad you said that to me. I hope you make good on that promise. They're two-way promises, right? 
Actually, almost always, you say the same thing to the other person. These things, I promise you, I'll be faithful, I'll be honest, I'll respect, I'll trust, I'll help, I'll care, I'll forgive you as we have been forgiven. And I'm thinking about these vows, and I'm thinking, man, I don't think a single couple that I've ever had the privilege of officiating a wedding ceremony for has ever perfectly followed those promises. Not one. And I don't even know. Some of them I've lost touch with. I don't even know how they've broken them, but I know every one of them has broken them. You want to know why? Because I've been married for 15 years, and I've broken them too. And I'm not talking about infidelity. I'm not talking about big secrets. I I never bought a boat without telling Alyssa. (laughs) Some of you are laughing, and some of you are like, I told you. Don't buy a boat without telling your spouse, okay? I don't know which commandment that fits in with, but that's not good. But seriously, big or small, I have taken way too long, just being honest, to forgive Alyssa. I've withheld my trust. There's been more times than I'm proud to admit that I have not been caring or helpful or forgiving. And my guess is if you're married, you can relate to. Now, do those shortcomings break the commitment that we made to one another all those years ago? The truth is, sometimes it does, right? But with God, every single time we fall short on our end of the promise, he shows up again and again and again, not only to make good on his end of those vows, to make good on our end too. Let me make it very simple. When we drop the ball, God picks it up for us every single time. And if you've ever been in a relationship, and you're on the receiving end of constantly needing grace to be extended to you, where you have dropped the ball, and they have picked it up, and they have been your strength and your weakness over and over again, that doesn't eliminate the promises. It makes them stronger. And friends, that is the story of God and his covenant with Israel. And it is the story of God's covenant with you and me. The law that was given is a promise by a God who loves us and wants to set us free. And from the very beginning, you are a part of the same tradition. God's people have broken their side of the promise, just like us, over and over and over again. And we're just at the beginning, but as you turn these pages, here's what you're going to find. Let me fast forward a bunch of it. Every single time, God's people, you turn a page, God's people mess up, God gets closer and closer. And closer. Every time they step away, God gets closer and closer and closer and closer until we get to the New Testament where God is so close that He's literally here and His name is Jesus. It's what the prophet Isaiah was referring to when he said, I am overwhelmed with joy. didn't even know it yet, but this is what he meant. I'm overwhelmed with joy in the Lord my God, for he has dressed me with the clothing of salvation and draped me in a robe of righteousness. I am like a bridegroom dressed for his wedding or a bride with her jewels. This is God's heart. Relationship and communion with his people. 
The Ten Commandments are a reflection of God's desire to live with us and us with him in love and freedom and promise. These are the rules of the road. They're not edicts that come from some distant deity. They are a loving guideline from a father in heaven who desires what is best for every single one of his children. And the sooner we know that for ourselves, the sooner we can receive the gift of his love that only he can give to us. And we can go out and we can faithfully follow those things, not because we're earning God's love, but because it's by following those things that we share God's love with the world. That the people outside these four walls will know that God wants what's best for them too. Let's watch. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is asked the question, Which is the greatest commandment? He answered, Love God with all of your heart, and with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then again, at the Last Supper, he says the same thing, but with a twist. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people, will know that you are my disciples. This time, Jesus replaced your neighbor with one another. This new love that Christ commands of us goes much deeper than the Old Testament commandment he was quoting in Matthew. The people we have been commanded to love has expanded beyond our neighborhoods to include, well, everyone. And this includes people who might make this commandment a bit difficult like that confrontational co-worker who just seems impossible to get along with, or your in-laws who've never treated you like a part of the family, or maybe the person you just met who you don't even know and really need some help. You see, Jesus knew his physical time on earth was nearing an end. So in this new take on the old commandment, Jesus also made another change. The words as yourself became as I have loved you. Wow, that's a tough act to follow. Christ's sacrificial life provides a clear and concrete example of real and true love. And he put this love on display on a daily basis with his disciples. He was patient with them, speaking kindly and showing great concern for their welfare. He instructed, counseled, and comforted them, prayed with them and for them. He admonished them for wrongdoing and yet compassionately bore with their failings. And most of all, he gave his life, dying so that they, and we, might live. According to Jesus, this is how others will know that you are one of his followers, not because you have a shirt or a bumper sticker that says so, not because we announce it from a stage or a blog or a status update, but because they look at you, at how you live, The things you do and say, and they see Jesus. They see love.